Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 2, Deals and Justice, Part 1. Black team, said Kutch through the radio. To your posts, go! Okay, that's our cue, Martin said over his shoulder. Let's go, everyone. Martin cut a few more links along the bottom of the fence and pulled the gap open wider. He and Trevor ducked under the angled sides of the bent chain link. They carefully pulled the toboggan through. Tin Man barely cleared the sides. The rest of the team followed behind the toboggan. Martin could feel his breathing getting fast and shallow. Keeping his carbine stock at his shoulder was not easy while walking in snowshoes and pulling a sled. The darkness was partially reassuring. They pulled the toboggan up to the closed garage door. Martin quickly untied his rope. Okay, guard posts, he said to two silhouettes behind the loaded sled. The two men took up positions at either side of the garage. The man on the right switched on his rifle-mounted light. The bright flash on the snow temporarily blinded Martin. He squinted his eyes shut. The man panned his mounted light across the snow-covered driveway and yard. The other man had his rifle shouldered and his eye behind the sights. The rifle light illuminated the first surrendering hoodlums. They trudged into the center of the cul-de-sac, wearing heavy coats or wrapped in thick blankets. Some had small flashlights. Martin switched on his headlamp. Trevor turned his on, too. They began scooping wood chips into the top of Tin Man. Martin wadded up a small sheet of paper and stuffed it into the firebox. He pulled apart a cotton ball that had been laced with petroleum jelly. Using his ferro rod required taking off his gloves. Cold fingers made it harder to control the rod and the scraper. The first several sprays of sparks were feeble and landed anywhere but the cotton ball. Finally, a few sparks fell on the cotton. It developed a glowing blue and yellow crown. Martin pinched the cotton ball with needle-nose pliers. He rotated the ball to get a more engaged burn before inserting it into the firebox. Other members of his team unpacked two car batteries. They strung wire to set up four LED floodlamps, one facing the garage door, three aimed at the cul-de-sac. More people were squinting as they trudged into the pool of light. Martin blew gently through the firebox door. The paper flared brightly. Smoke poofed back and stung his eyes. The corners of the smaller wood chips started to glow bright orange. The fire was beginning to catch. The garage door rolled up with a sudden roar. Get one of those lights in here, ordered Kutch. The man on the left pulled one of the work lights inside the garage. He angled it up to the ceiling. The whole garage glowed softly. Set it up over there, Kutch said to Martin. He pointed to the back corner, cluttered with cardboard boxes. Martin waved for Denton to bring his gear into the garage. Denton's eyes were wide, his mouth hung open partially. He clutched his wooden box to his chest, looking like a little boy on his first day at big school. Another man uncoiled an orange extension cord to the corner. Kutch stood just outside of the garage door. 
his M4 at low ready. He studied the crowd as it slowly coalesced, blinking in the harsh white beams of the light. The sound of doors being kicked in echoed off of distant walls. Muffled shouts of warning followed. Members of white and gold team took up positions around the crowd. Two minutes left, Kutch announced with the bullhorn. The sound of a door latch inside the garage caught Martin's attention. One of Kutch's men ushered a hoodlum down the four stairs to the garage floor. The man was unsteadily navigating the steps in unlaced boots. His hands were zip-tied behind his back. The man winced in the glare of the bright work lights. His sunken cheeks wore a patchy layer of several-day-old stubble. "'Hey, Kutch, this guy says he needs to talk to you,' said the guardsman behind the hoodlum. "'Why?' Kutch said without turning. "'Says he was Cracker's second-in-command. Says he wants to help.' "'Oh, yeah, right,' Kutch snarked. He glanced over his shoulder, giving the man a quick look up and down. "'Make it fast.' "'Look, uh, sir,' the man tried with little success to brush his shaggy hair out of his eyes with his shoulder. Uh, "'Most of these ain't bad people, really.' "'They attacked the town of Cheshire,' Kutch said flatly. "'Oh, yeah, okay. But they were afraid not to. It was Cracker. He wanted to attack. The big man put him up to it. Promised he'd give us all kinds of food and stuff. All we got was shot up. Yeah, some of us are hardcore. But some of these people were just desperate and crossed a line. Look, bottom line is, I don't want any more of our people to die trying something stupid.' They heard the terms, Kutch said. That's the deal. He turned to face the crowd again. Well, yeah, I know, continued the shaggy man. But some of them might not get it, you know. Cracker always talked of fighting to the last man. They don't know he's dead. They'll be afraid to not put up a fight for fear that he'll spaz out all over them. Kutch turned and squinted at the man. Look, said the scraggly man. Cracker was a jerk and an idiot. He didn't care if his people lived or died. He just wanted the biggest pile for himself. He'd have sold his mother to the big man if he thought he could have got free stuff out of it. Get to the point. One minute left. Kutch tapped his watch. Okay, okay. Here's the deal. Everyone was afraid of Cracker. He went berserk sometimes. Well, a lot of times, actually. As his second, I'd smooth things over, uh, work things out. I think they trusted me to do right by him. Uh, hopefully, I can convince any of the holdouts not to do anything dumb and get themselves killed. That they'd uh, be better off with the governor's terms. You don't even know what the terms are, quipped Kutch. Yeah, well, does it matter? You got us now. Now it's just a question of how many more are going to die. Kutch stared hard into the man's eyes for a moment. Cut him loose. The guardsman flicked open his knife. Kutch thrust the bullhorn into the man's belly. Make it fast. He pushed the man ahead of him and pulled his sidearm and held it flat against the man's back. Get cute and you drop, understand? The shaggy man nodded warily. Um, <coughs> the bullhorn squealed. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat> hey, uh, everyone, 
This is Badger. What is it with criminals and nicknames? Martin wondered. Listen, everyone. As you heard, Badass has been captured by National Guardsmen. Cracker is dead. Seen him dead myself. There was an audible gasp from the crowd, followed by animated whispering to each other. Cracker got stupid and tried to draw. That kind of leaves me in charge now. Well, in charge of what's left. Look, we can't shoot our way out of this. These guys have the firepower. We don't. I don't want any of the rest of you to die being stupid like Cracker. Badger paused to study the faces in the crowd. They stared in silence, as if waiting for a direction. Everybody come to the circle, like he said. I will say it again. This is Badger. Everyone come out to the circle. I don't want any more of you to die. He held out the bullhorn for Kutch. I sure hope that worked. Tell you what, said Kutch. You go out there and take a head count. If someone ain't accounted for, I'll give you one more chance to call him out before I gas him. Okay, okay. The man hurried toward the crowd, shuffling to keep his feet inside his untied boots. Kutch shouldered his M4, sights lowered, but directed at Badger. Martin closed Tin Man's firebox door. The fire roared. He spun the fan's flywheel. The smoke was too thin and too white. Tin Man wasn't ready yet. Yeah, I'm missing two, said Badger, as he returned from the crowd. If anyone was going to be trouble, it would have been those two. They'd be in that greenhouse, up by the fence. He pointed to a low ranch, dimly visible in the firelight from the gate. Last chance for them. Kutch tossed Badger the bullhorn. He waved to four of his men to move into flanking positions on either side of the greenhouse. Catfish? Barker? This is Badger. Look, guys, really, this is your last? Muzzle flashes and pops erupted from the windows of the greenhouse. Kutch's men returned fire. The crowd in the circle started to run away from the fight, but guards stopped the stampede with a couple of shots in the air. They ordered everyone to lie down in the snow. Guys, no! Badger pleaded through the bullhorn. More shots crackled through the windows. Kutch's men moved closer to the house, taking cover behind snowbound cars. One of them threw something. A window broke. A blinding flash and a sharp bang followed. The guardsmen moved up to the front of the house. One kicked in the door. Another flashbang exploded. Several shots rattled out. Then, nothing. After the sharp blasts, the silence felt like Martin had cotton stuffed in his ears. Kutch held his hand up to his ear. Tango's down, he said to the man beside him. Drag him out here, he said into his mic. Drag him out in front of the big house, as an example. The guardsmen drug out the bodies of the last two holdouts, feet first, through the snow, and laid to one side of the line between the big house's garage and the cul-de-sac's island. Kutch ordered one of the lights repositioned, so it lit up the bodies as well as the crowd on the island. The body of Cracker was similarly dragged out of the house and tossed across the first two. The people standing on the island slowly shuffled away from the pile of bodies. 
Is that thing ready yet? Kutch asked Martin. I think so. Martin spun the flywheel again. Thin blue smoke streamed out of the vent jet. Trevor twisted the valve to route the gas to the generator's engine. It took a few pulls of the cord, but the engine sputtered to life. With the new energy input, the floodlights glowed a little brighter. Denton tested his equipment. It buzzed eagerly. He gave a thumbs up. We only brought enough wood chips for about a half an hour, Martin said to Kutch. Doing this many people is going to take a little longer than that, Kutch said. Better stop making more. He pointed out to the island. Looks like they got some wood. Chip up some of that. Two metal trash cans had been turned into burn barrels on either side of the island. Bad as prisoners, escorted by guards, were stacking wooden pallets as fuel for each burn barrel. Martin picked up his hatchet. I'm going to go chip us up some more fuel, he told Trevor. Tin Man should run himself just fine for a little while. Give that grate a shake now and then. Martin took his canvas wood chips bag and headed for the left side's burn barrel. A dozen or so prisoners huddled close to the barrel, warming their hands or butts. Lower-ranking prisoners stood as near as they could without violating the space of their superiors. Behind the stack of pallets stood a cluster of women, guarded by a female team member. As Martin neared the stack of pallets, he gave a glance at the faces of the women, lit by the glow of the burn barrel. They looked cold and worried. At one face, Martin's eyes stopped. Trish? Martin stopped in the middle of the street. His imagination had painted the inhabitants of Badaz as all snarling killers. Seeing someone he knew among them was otherworldly. The last time he had seen Trish was when he had dumped her and Adam in front of the town farm. Martin was pretty angry with them then. He doubted his eyes. Adam said she left. Several of the Badaz prisoners noticed that he stopped walking. Martin pretended to fuss with something inside his woodchips bag as an excuse for standing still. Maybe she was someone else, and his mind had connected unrelated dots. He continued to fuss inside the bag while he took a longer look. He kept his hood tipped down to avoid being recognized, just in case it was her. Beneath the improvised hood of the blanket she had wrapped around herself, he could clearly see Trisha's heart-shaped face and small chin. Her hair was blonde, but it wasn't long. It hung in short, ragged patches at her forehead. Old yellowing bruises streaked her cheeks. It was Trish, though she looked particularly rough. Martin kept the rim of his hood tipped down as he approached. For all the scheming and trouble Trish and Adam had caused, he was surprised that he felt only a somewhat detached curiosity. Her damaged appearance suggested that she had already paid a stiff price for her scheming. He picked up the top pallet and hammered off one of the boards. The prisoners shuffled a step or two away from him. He knelt to chop whittle the boards into shavings, occasionally shifting his position to be closer to where Trish stood. She was more intent on getting some leftover warmth from between the other women at the burn barrel. He was very curious to hear her side of the story. What do you say when you meet up with someone you threw out of your truck? Martin wondered. 
Is there a social protocol for that? Hey, how's it going? Well, that sounds lame. He could think of nothing better. Hey, Trish, Martin said softly between chops. Trish spun around to face him. He looked up so she could see who he was under his hood. Oh, my God! She gasped and quickly turned back around. She began fidgeting and shifting her weight from foot to foot. She took a quick step to the left as if to bolt, but a female guard held up her AR. Hey, now, said the woman with the AR. Everybody staying right here. She motioned with their muzzle of her rifle for Trish to return to her spot. Trish looked around in furtive glances, like a trapped animal seeking escape. Don't freak out, Martin whispered, in as calming a tone as he could. I'm not here to make trouble. He chopped a few more times to emphasize that he had other chores to tend. She studied his face, still with the posture tense to spring away. You're not still mad? I'm here to chop wood. Truth is, I'm surprised to see you here. Martin said, focusing on his chopping. He gathered a pile of chips to put in his bag. Trish whispered out of the side of her mouth, Look, I can't take any more trouble. I really can't. She glanced at the woman with the AR and lowered her voice. And I'm really sorry about what I, uh, everything uh, back at the house. I, I really didn't. She turned and looked at Martin in the eyes. She did not see another tormentor but only a familiar face. The tension in her posture eased. What's going to happen to us? He saw fear and tragic desperation in her face. Even with the bruises and the hack-job haircut, Trish still had a plain sort of attractiveness. Martin felt a flush of sympathy for her. Am I feeling sorry for her? he asked himself. After all the trouble she caused? He wondered if his sympathy was because of her stammering apology or because she was still a somewhat attractive woman. She had flashed her cleavage at him back at the house. Was that all it took to soften his anger? Was he that shallow? Were male hormones clouding his thinking? Eh, hormones are chumps, he thought. He resolved to be more on guard about being swayed by silly stereotypes of damsels in distress. He had a job to do. He resumed chopping wood. Adam said you split on him, Martin said between chops. The woman guard stood near enough to overhear. He didn't care. He had nothing to hide, and it was her job to make sure nothing shifty was going on. What? I didn't? She snapped in a harsh whisper. Fury flashed across her eyes for a moment. He sold me to Cracker. Traded me for instant rank. The woman guard glanced at Martin with one raised eyebrow. Uh, that didn't go too well. Martin touched his cheeks where Trish had bruises. Cracker beat you? She shook her head. No, these are from Brandy. She gestured with her eyes toward a tall woman with red hair at the side of the burn barrel. Brandy shoved another woman out of her way. She always said she was Cracker's number one. She hated the rest of us. Accused us of trying to be number one. Whenever Cracker wasn't around, she took whatever shots at us she could. She hacked off my hair a couple of weeks ago because Cracker said he liked it. A sudden commotion behind the group made everyone turn around to see. 
a line of men trudged down the street from the direction of the gate. Guards flanked the line. They were the badass attackers captured in Cheshire. Kutch had them marched back to badass. Cheshire wasn't going to house and feed them. They would be part of the surrender. Trish let out a squeaking gasp. Oh, my God! She turned and pulled the side of her blanket hood to avoid being recognized. He's not dead? Fifth or sixth in line walked Adam, his head down, face twisted in a defiant scowl. His hands were tied at the wrists to a rope around the waist of the man ahead of him. I thought he was dead. Trish turned to Martin, looking even more desperate. He didn't come back. No one said anything. Oh, my God, things just keep getting worse. Oh, my God. The guards marched the line of men to the end of the big house's driveway. Three rows of them stood between the garage and the rest of the badass prisoners on the cul-de-sac. Their guards directed their attention to Kutch, standing in front of the open garage. Book Five's opening, with the assault on badass, was based on a comment from one of my beta readers of Book Three. After the ending of Book Three, where the townsfolk of Cheshire repulsed the hoodlums' attack to steal food, he commented that he hoped the people of Cheshire staged a counterattack to try and get their food back. At the time, I was thinking that Book Three was the end of the story, so I didn't think too deeply about his comment. I think I responded with something like, oh, yeah, probably. But after book four also wasn't the end of the story, his comment came back to me. A counter-strike was not only logical, it seemed like something I really just couldn't skip over. Do you just live with the fact that there's a compound of food-thieving hoodlums living six or seven miles down the road? Wouldn't you need to do something about that? The assault on Badez also offered an opportunity to tie up a loose plot thread. Whatever happened to Adam and Trish? In Book 3, they just disappeared one night, with Adam showing up among the hoodlums. Adam was captured, having had a near-death experience at the hands of an angry Margaret. But what about Trish? Part 2 of Chapter 2 is coming up next week. Despite the busy days of summer getting underway, with garden prep, splitting firewood, etc., work continues on Book 6. I do want to thank my Siege Club members and patrons for their support of the ongoing story. I've been keeping my members updated on the goings-on around the homestead, including yet another bobcat assault on my chickens. He didn't get anything this time. And the picking up of the piglets for this fall's ham and bacon. Links to Buy Me a Coffee and Patreon are in the show notes. Talk to you next week.